today. Um, we're going to go to the book of Hebrews. And um, we have finished up our study through the book of Luke. Now, some of you will gasp a sigh of relief after almost two years, but um, it was really, really good. And Joe and Chad and I, um, when we get into these kind of in-between times where we're not in a book, these are by far the most difficult, time-consuming sermons to prepare. And um, we cannot wait to get back into Timothy. Uh, as Joe has shared with you this morning, we're going to here in just a few weeks. But the next couple of weeks are going to be some... some um, Bits and pieces that, that we need to cover that are really important. And, uh, but even then, we want to come from God's Word. So today we're going to spend our time in the book of Hebrews, chapter 4. Uh, Jeff started reading that for us, and we'll continue on a little bit. I've titled this message, The Paradox of Discipleship. The Paradox of Discipleship. And a paradox is something that, at first glance, the, the words of it seem to self-contradict. Um, and yet we find it to be very true. Um, things like, deep down, that person's really shallow. Things such as, youth is wasted on the young. You ever heard that one? I'm learning that more and more every year as I get a little bit older. And uh, this is not to be, by the way, to be confused by an oxymoron. I wanted to make sure I actually researched this, Miss Wanda. I make sure I'm going to be correct on my English. It's not an oxymoron. That's two words, jumbo shrimp, okay? But a paradox, something that you make this statement and it seems to be false. And, and I want to turn from being a little lighthearted, talking about, you know, scholar athletes and things like that that don't seem to exist. And uh, that was for Joe. To, uh, sorry, I had to get that one in to something more serious. So, so we just sat here as a group of people, at least for the most part, who, who claim to know Christ and love Him and follow Him and serve Him. We just sat and sang as a congregation, you will reign forever. Did we not? And most of us, I hope, sung it with our hearts, with a joy and a comfort. And yet... This past week, this coming week, today, maybe before the end of this sermon, every one of us will disobey that same God who we just proclaim reigns forever. How is it that in the Christian life, what seems to be so clear seems to be so confusing and muddy at the same time? How can we who sing, you will reign forever, continue on in our sin? The book of Hebrews makes this statement, and I'm going to skip into it. Verse 11, we're going to come back, we're going to go through the whole thing here shortly. But this is kind of the core of it, the heart of it. We're, we're going to get to the heart and then we'll unpack it. It says this, let us therefore strive... The word endeavor is in some translations. You'll see that in our church covenant. Let us therefore strive, work hard. Let's go at it. Let us strive to enter that rest. Let us strive to enter rest. 
And what I want to talk with us today as, as we go through this passage is just the very basics of how as a Christian do you grow? And we're going to pull in the same story that the book of Hebrews does, a story from the Old Testament about the Exodus just after the people have left Egypt and how they, they were to enter rest, but they failed. They missed it. And the writer of Hebrews warns us, and I think this warning is particularly valid as we go into a new year, as we're thinking about what are our goals, what are we doing, what are our hopes, what are our dreams. We need to make sure we strive to enter the rest of Jesus Christ. And we're going to talk about how do you do that? What is the reality of that? What does that all mean in this paradox of discipleship? Striving to enter rest. So the first thing we're going to talk about, and this is, this is kind of the basis, this is the bedrock. If you don't get point one, point three, two, three, and four, it doesn't really matter. And by the way, I warned Joe this because he had a panic attack the last time I preached because I preached like 50% of the time on point one and then like two, three, four. Same thing today, all right? Point one and two, that's the time. We're not going to go three hours, I promise. But we're going to spend a lot of time on this first ten verses and then um, the next couple verses for these first two things, because it's foundational. It's the basis. If you don't get one, you don't get any of the rest. And if you don't get one and two, three and four, they don't make sense either. So the first thing, you'll see it there in your notes, place your faith in Christ so you don't miss God's promise of salvation. Place your faith in Christ so you don't miss God's promise of salvation. Now, I want to kind of preface this, and again, we're, we're jumping into the middle of a book. We've missed chapters 1 through 3. But the book of Hebrews is written to, to the church. It's written to people who call themselves believers. It's not written to those folks out there who don't want anything to God, that, you know, they're in some other religion or they just don't care. No, this is, this is, the inner circle. These are people who have signed on the dotted line and say, yes, I am of Christ. But the first ten verses of chapter 4 very much say a warning to us, to us here in this room who proclaim ourselves to be Christians that you need to be careful as we come to this time of new year and examination, I want each of us to look at our own hearts. And I want us to look at it through the lens of these people back there. It's always easy to see things in those folks back there. And so let me get kind of into the story. God's people had been taken captive into Egypt. So they went down there voluntarily. And over about 400 years, they'd grown to a million strong and they were made slaves in Egypt. They, they were tortured by Pharaoh. They were put under heavy burdens and enslaved by him. They were calling out to God, save us, save us. So God sent Moses. He goes down there. Y'all, I hope remember the story. He sends ten plagues, nine of which were, were just things in the universe. Frogs would come. The rivers turned to blood. Darkness just happened. And it says it was a darkness that you couldn't see. Even if you lit a light, if you lit a match, you couldn't see the flame of that match. It was a blinding darkness. All these things happen. And Pharaoh just goes, I will not let these people go. He's angry. And he makes things worse on them. And then God sends this final plague where he kills the firstborn of anyone who would not smear lamb's blood on their doorpost. 
That included Pharaoh, lost his son. And so Pharaoh not only lets the people go, he kicks them out. Get out of this place. And so the nation is saved. He, he brings the people as a whole out. But then, the people run away. They come to a sea, and Pharaoh decides he's going to chase them down and kill them. So they're trapped quite literally between a rock and a hard place. The ocean and Pharaoh's army. God splits the sea. The people walk through on dry land. Pharaoh's army is crushed when they go to wade through these waters. God preserves His people. Now they're in the middle of a desert. God sends them food. He literally floats it down out of the sky. They're thirsty. They're in a desert. He tells Moses, hit a rock with a stick. And that always works to get water. And water flows forth out of that rock. These people had seen this and witnessed this. And then when they come, to enter the land that God had promised them, they send out 12 spies. Ten come back and say, man, it's great there. They brought back produce from the land. It says grapes that took a, a cluster of grapes took two men to carry on a stick. Huge fruits of this land. They say it was a good place. It was flowing with milk and honey. It was a wonderful, wonderful place. And there ain't no way we're going to go in there because there's a bunch of people and they're way bigger than us. And there were two who said, yeah, everything they said is true, but with God, He's called us to go in. He will make a way. And this nation hears this report. And even after seeing God perform the plagues, seeing God split the sea, seeing God give them food, seeing God give them water, I say there's no way God could possibly take us into that land. And they reject God's promise. They say no. We won't have any of it. You've brought us out here to die in the desert, God. These are the people Hebrews 4 talks about. They were offered the promise. They saw the promise of God. And they said, I don't think so. Again, these are not the people far off. These are the people watching what God is doing. And they simply miss it. And this whole generation misses God's rest. God's good place. You see, what God was saying up from the very beginning of Scripture is for God's people to be in God's place under His blessing and rule. And they said no. Two who were faithful, Joshua and Caleb. So the people wander around in the desert until they die. God in His mercy didn't strike them dead instantly. But they missed out on the goodness and the promises of God. You see, the Gospel has been preached for millennia. This same message that God saves by grace. Not by your works. Not by you trying hard. Remember that word rest? That's kind of the whole theme of this passage. It's not by you being good, but by the fact that Christ was good for you. It's the promise of salvation. Not the plan, not the checklist, but the promise of salvation. And these people missed it. 
And we can look back with our 2020 hindsight and say, what fool? You seriously saw the Ten Commandments come down. You saw an ocean split. And you rejected the Word of God? I wouldn't have done that. I mean, seriously, you split an ocean for me? I'm good. That proves that, you know, case settled. Right? Jesus tells a story a little bit later. Almost 2,000 years later. He says there was this rich man. He had access to all the teachings of the day, the Bible, the old, what would be the Old Testament now. And he just ignored the commands of God. He was harsh. He was ruthless. He says there was this poor man who set his gate and he begged for the dog food. And the man chose it to give, give it to his dogs. He said they both died. The poor man knew Christ, went to heaven, knew God, had trust in the promises of God. And this man from hell cries out, Please, what has happened? He said, at least let me wet my tongue with some water. He said, no, you cannot. You chose this. He says, well, then at least resurrect this man Lazarus. At least raise him from the dead so my brothers will see that. And then they'll believe and they won't have to come here too. You know what has spoken to that man? Even if they saw it, they wouldn't believe. It's not always about the proof. It's about our hearts. Where do our hearts reside? Have we become hard-hearted to the Gospel? That's the good news of Christ. We'll talk about what that means here in just a moment. But the Gospel has become just a passing phrase or a word Something meaningless to us because of the hardness of our hearts. See, God's Word is actually a greater miracle than the splitting of that sea. That God would speak to you and to me. Sinners, people far from Him, He took the initiative to communicate to you that that is far greater miracle than anything else we could ever ask. And so we can't look back with our pointy fingers and say, oh, you fools back there. If I'd seen that, I wouldn't have done that. And the truth is, yeah, we would have done the exact same thing. And you know how I know? It's because we do the exact same thing today. We forget the promises of God. And so my call to you is to believe that Gospel. To truly believe the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's not complicated or fancy, although it's not simple either. Simplistic either. See, Jesus Christ, God, the Son, came down to earth. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He met all the demands of God. God says, I am perfect, so you should be perfect. And Jesus did exactly that as a human. And we're going to come back to His humanity here in just a moment. But as a human, Jesus did what we have all failed to do. And then He died on the cross. So not only did He do what we failed to do, for all of our sin, all of our failures, He suffered the penalty. 
So He was both good for us and then He took our evil, our sin upon Himself. He rose from the dead and He proclaims to all people, follow Me. Put your faith and trust in Me. And unlike every other religion out there, the call of Christ, the promise of God is not work to become this standard and then you'll go. Then you'll be okay. But trust in the promise of God. This same promise that was given to them, I will bring you into rest, is offered to you today. And it's offered to me today. I will bring you rest from your works. You don't have to earn God's favor. It has already been earned for you by Jesus Christ. So the call is not work harder. The call is trust Christ. Day in, day out. And so the first thing today, if you have not trusted Christ, you need to do that. You need to do that. And again, don't hear me talking to the person who's rejected God from since the day they were born and they look some certain way that you think doesn't fit the mold. I'm talking to the folks here on the green chairs. This message that the author of Hebrews wrote, it was for the church. He was worried about the folks in the church. So my message to you today that I hope and pray is faithful to the text of Scripture and read it and see is don't miss the rest of God. By being so busy about your religiosity, about being so busy about this, or that, that you don't trust the Gospel, the promises of God. Point one. Again, you see why that's foundational. Point two. Endeavor, and that word has chosen really closely. I did not use the word strive, and you'll see why in just a minute. Endeavor to become Christ-like because you are in Christ. Endeavor to become Christ-like because you are in Christ. Look with me. Verse 11. We're going to read a couple verses here. Hebrews 4, verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I want us to think What is it that we do as Christians? What is it that we do? The promise is to enter rest. And and I don't know about you, my picture of rest is usually, you know, the, the bed, the couch, the TV. It's nothingness, right? We're such a busy society that sometimes our view of rest is very, very constrained to sleep. When God says He rested from His work in this, it's talking about creation. So day one, He creates the heavens and the earth. goes through the six days. All the way, it ends with the creation of humanity. It says on day seven, He rested. And the author of Hebrews kind of takes that in a figurative way. He started resting, and He's resting now. He's done with His creative work. So 
Think about what God has done during His rest. This whole little thing called human history. Alright? The whole thing we've talked about, the whole Exodus, all those works that I would call works, that's in God's rest. This past week, I'd taken most of the week off, just worked a couple of days a little bit. I hope you all had some breaks like that too. I was pretty busy this week. Have, have any of y'all ever noticed that when you take a day off work, suddenly it gets awfully busy? Um, this week, Nathan got a toy train for Christmas. And uh, I thought, well, well, we'll build him a little table so it's got a nice place. You know, our upstairs is carpeted where he plays. And that way it won't get messed up. Well, that little table turned into three days of work. And uh, it's still ongoing, still not painted. Um, but Nathan and I, in that work, that, that effort we put forth, boy, it was really fun. We had a great time. It was such a difference from what I normally do that it was very much a sense of rest. And so when Hebrews says, let us therefore strive or, or endeavor or work to enter rest, for our American minds, that, that seems to not quite work. That, that seems to truly be a paradox that can't be solved. But this paradox, what it's talking about is that the Christian life is not lay back, sit on your couch and watch God do miracles and suddenly everything's fluffy and happy. As a matter of fact, the Christian life has a great deal of suffering in it. The Christian life is at times requiring great effort of us. But the difference, the, the key to understanding discipleship is that we're endeavoring to become Christ-like because we are in Christ. Again, that statement there. We are working. We're putting forth effort because we already are. Um, a famous Christian said it like this. Christian life is simply becoming what you are. It can be a little confusing at first, but Christ has made you a Christian. If you have placed your faith in Him, if you have trusted the Gospel, you are a believer in Jesus Christ. It's done. The Scriptures and, and theologians um, call this justification. It's You are made right before God. Your standing before God will never change. When He looks at you, if you are a believer, He sees the works and the goodness and the perfection of Jesus Christ and none of your sin. That's good news. But the Christian life is becoming what we truly are. Because if you look at my life, I got irritated and angry and grumpy last night and sinned. What I am is the perfection of Christ before God, but how that worked itself out, well, it didn't work itself out last night with my wife. And so we are becoming what we already are. It's working its way out. It's not to earn God's favor. That's already done. We're exercising the favor that we already have. I want you to think back. We've just come off the Christmas season. Remember what the angel said to Mary when he announced that she would have Jesus as her son? He said, Hail, favored one. 
Another way to translate it would be blessed one. And Mary's like, what? Who are you? She's scared. What in the world is going on? You're going to be bearing God's Son. You'll bear the Savior. You'll call His name Jesus because He's going to save everyone. How in the world is her answer to that? He basically says, nothing's impossible with God. He'll take care of it. But then Mary, who's highly favored already, that's the proclamation. What happens next? She bears Jesus Christ. She carries Jesus Christ just like any other woman who's pregnant carries that child. She gives birth. I'm sure it wasn't pleasant. You know, I, I, I've not experienced that. Won't, but I've never heard anyone say it was fun. She was already favored. But her life continued and there was great effort on her part. She suffered. The highly favored one we see at the end of Christ's life is crying at the foot of the cross. You see, the Christian life, yes, you are highly favored, but you are called to exercise your faith actively. Remember what James says? Faith without works is dead. So strive. Again, this is written to Christians. Strive to enter that rest. And the, the reason I use that word, strive, is very important. Do you remember that covenant that hangs out in the hallway there? Do you remember the first words of that? We endeavor. Therefore, that work that we do, it's out of the rest of Christ. It's out of what He has done for us. But we need to put forth effort to follow Christ. And it's not in our strength. This isn't a pull yourself up by your bootstraps message. But this is a call to get off your couches spiritually. And I don't mean that I have a couch. I enjoy it. God calls you to put forth effort and follow Him. Without Christ-likeness, you will not see God. If your understanding of Christianity is to pray this little prayer and get dunked in some water and you're good and do whatever, brother or sister, you're probably going to hell. I say that not to be mean or not to be aggressive, but to warn you. The Christian life is a life of active faith. And you're not earning your way there. You're already there. You're already declared righteous. But it requires effort that you become who you already are. So let's get specific. How do you do that? Here's the how. Verse 12. For... The Word of God, the Scriptures, is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God's Word is going to do the work. God's Holy Spirit, the primary way He works is through His Word. Ancient Christians had this saying that they said the Christian life was about spiritus cum verbe. The Spirit and the Word. We are being transformed by the Holy Spirit as we consume His Word. 
That's how they describe the process of growing spiritually. Spiritus cum verbe. Spirit and word. And how do we know the Holy Spirit? Well, we, he talks to us. And I'm, I want to be a little obnoxious here. I know lots of people who will come up to me and say, you know, I, I think I heard something from God this week or something like that. Uh, and, and, and then they'll preface that. Well, it wasn't like he spoke words or anything like that. And, and they're meaning, you know, God didn't talk to them in a dream or something, you know, weird or wacky or, you know, cultish. But here's the catch. That's not true. If you'd opened your Bible this week, guess what? God did speak to you and He used words. They're right here. His Word is active and living and His Holy Spirit applies it to your heart. So my call to you this week, the primary thing, primary application, if you've already trusted Christ, is open God's Word. Read your Bibles. Really theological statement, right? Deep stuff here this morning. This year as we start, read your Bibles. Open God's Word. There's a couple specific ways I want to throw at you here. Um, some of you, and, and please understand, I know everybody's at a different place spiritually here. Some of you read God's Word faithfully every day and you have for decades. Praise God for that. Some of you have never done that. You have never read God's Word for yourself. And I don't want to throw you, hey, just read the whole thing real quick, you know, this week. That's not what I'm saying here. But open God's Word. And my challenge to you is this year, 2018, read the Scriptures every single day. Every single day. Let God's Word permeate your life. And I've got some practical ways to do that. Um, you'll see these in your resources down there. This is called Experiencing the Trinity. It's the grace of God for the people of God. And I'm going to, I hope I can do this. I hope you all can see this. I tried to intentionally, it's a little book, right? There's day 13. It's one passage, Psalm 4 3. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call. What does that mean? If you're struggling with that, it tells you right here and helps you apply. Really simple. And these are really good. I read these daily. There's two of them there by Joe Thorne. They're both simple. One, two verses. If you have never read God's Word before, these are both about, they're a little over a month long. They're, uh, this one is, I think, 45. Yeah, this one's 50. The other one is 45. So you get three months out of these little books. They're like eight bucks on Amazon. Let me challenge you. Read one Scripture verse a day. Um, for some of the rest of you, you have been reading God's Word and you, we need to step up. This is where I'm at. One of the things I've been doing, I've been going through books, I've been going through chunks of Scripture for a while. I need to study more. I need to just absorb. So my goal for the spring, I want to know the book of Romans in and out. And I won't be finished by this spring. But I will go through the book of Romans studying it. My goal is actually to study it in Greek. And I want to know God's Word. Some of you, it's studying. Some of you, you've never read the whole of God's Word. Now, we've got several HR people in here, right? I've, I've just talked to a couple, met with an HR person this week. As an HR person, or, or several of the rest of you are executives, if you had somebody who you hired and you said, here's the personnel manual, 
and all they opened to was the dress code so they knew how to show up on Monday, would you consider them a good employee? I mean, you're, they're going to irritate you, right? <laughs> Problems will come. And yet we sit here as Christians proclaiming to be people of the book. That's the title a lot of people give to Christians. And we haven't all read it. So, out on in the foyer out there at the Connect Center, I've got three different reading plans. One of them is to go through the Gospels um, and the New Testament in one year. So maybe that's the step for you. Get through the whole New Testament. By the way, I can tell you where to get the Old Testament if you've done the New Testament this past year. The other two are to go through the Bible. One chronologically. In other words, as the events happen, kind of like we do on Sunday mornings in Sunday school. The other, just straight through the Bible. It's got it broken down. You read five days a week. That way you got a couple of days for oops um, or crazy days or sick or whatever. You can pick those up. Um, I want to challenge you. Open God's Word this week. Read what God says. It will change you because God's Holy Spirit works through His Word. Second way, God changes us. Verse 13. And no creature is hidden from His sight. Now, catch what's happened here. For the Word of God, this is 12, is living and active, sharpening the two-edged sword, piercing the divisions of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. What's this talking about? The Bible. Verse 13. And no creature is hidden from... What's the word? His. Thank you. My kids know to actually answer me. I'm not... These, these are not um, questions just posed. I actually like answers. No question, no creature is hidden from His sight. And who's the His in this passage? It's Jesus. No creature is hidden from His sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. This is how important the Scriptures are. Jesus identifies with them. It doesn't mean the Scriptures are Jesus. This isn't, we aren't worshiping the Bible or anything like that. But this is how important the Scriptures truly are. The pronouns can switch between the Bible and Jesus. No creature is hidden from His sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. This week, as I was preparing this passage, my, my brain kept going back to the, when you're nervous about speaking, you know, you're always supposed to consider your audience in, in their underwear. And I thought that there's got to be some kind of pun in all this thing to uh, being naked and exposed by Christ. It didn't ever come together. But the point is, the awkwardness of our nakedness, we, we don't want anyone to see us naked, right? I mean, that's not... No one wants to forget to put their pants on and come to church in the morning, right? Okay, and by the way, none of us wants you to forget your pants. Just make sure that's stated. It's embarrassing. Because people see who we really are and all those donuts we ate and Sunday school and the, the extra pie. At Christ, I mean, it all comes out. This is how you're seen before God. And I don't mean this in a scary way, but in a way to make us think. If we really, truly believed that Christ was watching, we wouldn't do what we do.
Our problem is not bad behavior. Our problem is lack of faith. Because if you truly believe Christ knew what you were thinking last night on your bed, you probably wouldn't have thought that. If you truly thought someone was watching, because He is, your life would change. Our problem is not works. It's faith. We don't truly believe what we say we believe. And how many times have we said that little mathematical formula that Joe came up with? What you say you believe plus what you actually do equals what you really believe. And practically, what most of us believe is that there is no God out there. Because we act like there isn't. And the way we speak, the way we act, the way we treat others, the fact that we don't share the Gospel with others, we act like there's no God. But this Scripture says, no creature is hidden from His sight. And that includes you. Now let me give you a little more encouraging. As I say, we're going to wrap up with points 3 and 4. Hold on to your faith in the true Gospel of Jesus. Verse 14, listen to this. Since then we have a high priest. So, he's just kind of giving the slap. Since then we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confessions. In other words, the belief in the Gospel and that we are true professors of it. We say it around, around here like this, that it's a true confession, right doctrine, and that we are true confessors. We truly believe it. Listen to verse 15. Here's the encouraging part. Here's the why. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect who has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So here's the encouraging part. Here's why you don't give up knowing that you are exposed before a holy God. Because Jesus came at Christmas. He came. And He went through what you are going through. The feelings of loneliness, yeah, He's been through that. His dearest friends betrayed Him to be killed. That overwhelming urge to do whatever it is that you might be tempted to. Whether it be substance abuse, relying on a relationship, with a boyfriend or girlfriend instead of Christ. Taking that shortcut at work. Losing your temper at home. Jesus was tempted in all of those. So He truly understands. He has compassion for you. He loves you. And He died for those sins. You have a great high priest. So hold true to the confession. Hold true to it. Believe the promises of God. Even in those weak moments. Last thing. Boldly pray and worship. Verse 16. Boldly pray and worship. So what do we do? How does this end? Let us then with confidence. Okay, so He's just stripped us down naked. And now He says, now, now get confident because of this Jesus thing. Alright? Take courage. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help 
in the time of need. So what do you do? You boldly pray and worship. I mean that very simply. But let me be speak specifically to the prayer part. Um, as a pastor, one of the things that, that when I start talking with people, and they maybe have a problem or they're struggling with this or that, the first thing we usually talk about is getting the Word. Because shockingly, nearly everyone who comes with an issue is not reading the Bible every day. Now, that's not exclusive. That's not you know universal. But the first thing I want to see you do is get in the Scriptures. The second thing is pray. And the third thing is gather every week with the church. And I mean, that's basically what this passage says. Come boldly before the throne of God. That's what we do every Sunday morning. But let me encourage you, if you have never uttered a prayer to Christ before, start this week. Or maybe you prayed and asked God to forgive you and, and you, you were truly saved. But you don't know where to go from here. Understand. Start. And I thought about listing a book. There's a great book if, if you want it. It's called Prayer, ironically, um, by Miller. But it's a big old chunk of a book. And, and I really struggled to list it. Because it's phenomenal. But what I, I want to ask you to do as brothers and sisters is every single day, many times a day, Go to your Father. Listen to what this said about Jesus. You've got a high priest who gets it. And in that moment of intense struggle, in that moment where you think the hurt can't go any deeper, just ask for help. It, it, your prayer may be so deep and theological, it's help me God. He hears your prayers. Because of Christ, because we have a great high priest, He hears your prayers. Maybe I have no clue what to do in this situation. I don't even know how to ask God. But do it. Ask. Ask for help. Proclaim where your heart's at. I don't know, God. I'm struggling. I'm scared. I'm at the end of my rope. You have a great high priest who's been there before, and he has all the knowledge about what to do. Well, it's a simple sermon. Read your Bible. Know Jesus is actually real. Keep true the confession. Keep believing, in other words. And pray. But that's the Christian life. And we do that with everybody here. Let me challenge you this week. Start. Simple, simple things. Read your Bible. Pray. Hold true to the confession. And truly believe that Jesus is the Son of God and He's there and He sees you. That's it. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the day. Thank You for Your love, Your grace, Your kindness. Lord, whether the person here has been a Christian for three days or 70 years, I pray that every one of us would grow nearer to You this week, God. 
Open our eyes that we might see wonderful things in your law, as your scripture says. May that be our prayer and may that be our action this week, that we open your word, God. Lord, I do pray for anyone here who, who may have even realized that they're not a believer, that they have never trusted that gospel, that they have been working instead of entering rest. Pray that they would be saved, maybe even today. Help us in our hearts. Carries through this new year. In Jesus' name, amen.